0: Hello and welcome back to the RHS Gardening Podcast. Every fortnight, we bring you a mixture of features and discussions, exploring every aspect of gardening: plant care, garden design, pest control, growing your own fruit and vegetables, and container ideas. Plus, expert garden advice throughout the year. I'm Jenny Bowden, one of the RHS's team of horticultural advisors based here at RHS Garden Wisley in Surrey. Coming up in this July edition. A look at some of the highlights of this year's RHS Hampton Court Palace Flower Show, which marked its 25th anniversary in 2015. RHS advisors answer your seasonal gardening questions. And, as always, the latest news on RHS garden events across the UK. But first, the 2015 RHS Hampton Court Palace Flower Show this year was an extra special year as 2015 saw the show celebrating its 25th anniversary.
1: My name's Dave Green and uh, we're at the RHS Hampton Court Palace Flower Show. Uh, on, on a sunny day in its 25th anniversary year. We've got more gardens than we've had in quite a few years um, and the standard of the gardens, the effort the landscapers and the dr- designers and growers have all put in are really incredible. And in some of the marquees, the displays, especially the rose marquee and the floral marquee, uh, are probably some of the best we've seen here for quite a few years. So, To celebrate the anniversary, we've, cr- we've created an anniversary maze to link to the palace's maze. Um, it includes 300 metres of hedging, And it it covers 900 square metres in total. So you can walk around there and get lost inside. There's tunnels, smoke machines, fountains, uh, rose scents around some of the corners. So it's really uh, an immersive and interactive feature at the show. A real highlight for the anniversary. Um, As well as that, outside the floral marquee, we've created a a floral birthday cake, four metres high with candles all over it to celebrate and we're sitting on the RHS stand with the community street exhibit next to it which which is not so much about the anniversary but more about the RHS's Greening Great Britain campaign. The feast zone is new this year so we've introduced it to to really highlight growing and eating and the connections between the two. So we've got a great cookery theatre with some with some high profile people in there. Greg Wallace is is here at the weekend. James Wong's doing some speaking. Alice Fowler's going to be in there. So we've got some great names in there and just next to that we've got the great tastes chalets so that it's lots of um food sellers, all in small wooden huts where you can go and sample artisan produce from jams to chutneys to sausages so that'll be the place to be and then we've also got some lovely gardens and um, we've created one with uh, Raymond Blanc's son Ollie Blanc and Chris Collins the Blue Peter Gardener and it's called uh, the Henry Le Worm Garden it's all about community gardening and gardening in schools and connecting people growing and eating together.
2: Yeah, I'm Christopher Collins, one of the designers of the Henri Le Worm Community Garden. And I'm Olivier Blanc, one of the creators of Ori Le Worm. Well, I met Ollie probably about a year ago, I suppose, on this sort of food school plan circuit. So we we're very interested in sea to Plate. And then gradually, as time went by, we worked together quite a lot and we came up with the idea of building a Henri Le Worm community garden at Hampton Court and uh, and here we are a lot of blood and sweat later really I eh, Absolutely. Fella?
3: <laughs> most of the blood and sweat belongs to Chris Collins <laughs> <I don't> think... <laughs> he's lost about four pounds <laughs> oh, yeah. but we're still smiling okay and we're still friends so <laughs> it's gone well it's been an amazing experience Henri Le Worm is essentially about connecting young children to gardening and cooking like Chris said from seed to plate and so I'm very lucky to have met someone like Chris who's an expert obviously in his field as a horticulturist And together with Raymond, I've got two experts, and with them and then with the IP, the cartoon characters that are in Henri the Worm, I think we've got a fantastic team to deliver a really important message to the growing next generation. Well, he's loosely based on Raymond. Uh, He's got a potbelly and he's French and he's passionate about food and he loves nature. So those are my dad's best qualities, I guess. Um, and he's the chief, kind of the chief character, but there's a whole collection of characters. There's Derek the ladybird, Sebastian the slug, who's also based on my brother. I'm not very popular in my family. Um, and, then, and then we've got bees and butterflies that we want to create characters from. But they're all insects that play a role in the ecology of the garden.
2: Well, this was quite interesting because what we wanted to really do more than anything is is there's two angles. We wanted it to be doable. We wanted people to come in. There's a lot of school kids earlier. We wanted to look at it and go, you know what, we could do that in our school or in our community. That was really fundamental to our approach to this. And, uh, and so we divided it into four sections so you didn't have a big thing so you had like a chicken coop then you've got a recipe area a demo area and we've got the famous Henri Worm Shed which is uh, very very prominent in the app itself and so we've kind of divided it up so it had to be doable out there and also what's really nice is we are moving it lock, stock and barrel to Woodlands Farm which is in shoot, off Shooters Hill a 90 acre farm where I've already built some of a garden and we're going to add it to that and that will be then used by eight local schools as an active learning centre for that part of London afterwards so it's, this is very much we're all about people we're all about getting them involved, we're all about doing stuff. It's, uh, it's not a stand back, doesn't it look pretty job, it's getting and get your hands dirty.
4: I'm Colin Crosby and I'm the curator of the RHS Garden Wisley. We're at Hampton Court Flower Show enjoying the wonderful sunshine and the magnificent flower show that is Hampton Court Palace Flower Show. It's very distinct from Wisley because it's much larger, there's a greater range of exhibits, and it's got a kind of country fair feel with it. Really, really close up. You know, there's some lovely gardens, lots of colour, a lot more colour than I've seen for many years at Hampton Court. uh, And then into the floral pavilion, the range of nurseries and the ability to be able to buy plants and take them home. It's so tempting. I absolutely Absolutely love it. I've never seen as much colour throughout the whole showground. The gardens go from strength to strength and they're the most beautiful and I would say most colourful I've ever
5: seen. I'm Nigel Dunnett and I've designed the main flagship garden for the RHS and BBC uh, to support the Green Great Britain campaign. And with this garden, which is actually three or four different gardens within a huge space, we're trying to get messages across for not only private gardeners, but also for community spaces and also where horticulture and gardening can be used on the public realm on the streets and schools and and in all those sorts of places where it's desperately needed. Well actually it's based on a real site as our starting point, a site in Bristol which is a community space in the street where they've done quite a lot of active greening, really interesting things and we've got a big community space and I guess the fundamental message is just how important plants are to the future of our cities so when you come into the garden we've actually got a street with no plants in it and it's horrible but it looks horrible but it's what we see around us all over the place and you know parking on the streets rubbish everywhere bin bags not a single plant in sight and not only does it look horrible it feels horrible to be there it's hot and it's bleak and then you come into our garden which is full of trees and green and it's calm it feels cool and that's part of the message Um, but we're showing more specifically through some interactive features the value of plants in helping combat urban flooding, helping clean the air from air pollution, but also to dampen down temperatures in in the real heat of the summer.
6: Uh, I'm Marilyn Stevens, and I am here with Roses UK which promotes roses for the British Rose trade. We're in the uh, Festival of Roses marquee which is uh, a central point at the show, not far uh, from the Longwater and it's a spectacular celebration of garden roses. One of the great things about visitors coming to this show is that they can see many different varieties of roses with different habits, and the rose exhibitors try to display them in a way that is a guide for the public to see how the roses would grow in their garden. So we have standard roses, half standards, we've got rambler roses trained up on uh, very lovely pergolas, we have floribundas, hybrid teas, modern varieties, English roses, and we have the old roses as well. The rose of the year is um, called Sunny Sky. It's a hybrid tea, it opens uh, from a uh, tight bud which are the very typical classic hybrid tea shape which is a sort of rich apricot yellow and as the rose opens it softens to soft lemon on the outer petals with a very warm citrus heart It has a sort of light fragrance. It's not a heavily perfumed rose, but there is a light fragrance to it. It has fabulous dark green foliage, which offsets the flowers beautifully. It's a remarkably healthy plant, um, which is why it's won the Rose of the Year Award. It's actually Rose of the Year for next year, 2016. We're always a little bit ahead of the game. And it is actually bred by... Uh, a rose breeder in Germany, Kordes Roses, who are renowned for the health of their roses. Uh,
7: Royal Lancaster and the Hampton Court Palace show on the Monday press day. Well, all these, uh, all these shows, as all experiences in life, are really from a personal point of view. And for me, I like Hampton Court Palace show. Uh, because of the space. It's obviously a different atmosphere. Uh, you almost get a different public. And one thing about it is so relaxed. Now, look at me. If I was at Chelsea, uh, which is very much establishment show... And I'm very excited. And very exciting, sure it is too. Of course, I've, I've been to over 50 now. I'd be wearing a tie, but uh, I'm in casual mode, and so you feel relaxed and free, and um, you have space to wander in order to see all the different exhibits and all the different marquees. And one of my favourite marquees um, after the Plant Heritage Marquee, with lots of specialist exhibits there, and all the uh, uh, specialist uh, group uh, shows and plants there. Uh, one of my favourite sports is the horticultural tent or the nursery. And to me, that, that's a huge emporium of plants. Um, last year when we came, we were there till the evening and the lights were on. And I remember us coming in from one end and looking down, and it seemed to go on forever Uh, all these exhibits in between you and the far end. We weren't quite sure where the far end was. It was like one of these magical mystery journeys. You're on a train, you go in this huge tunnel, but it's not a tunnel, it's a marquee. And all these wonderful flowers and plants, rarities, common plants, the biggest you've seen, the the most colourful, and not just the plants, of course, but the people who put those plants and grew the plants, the, the exhibitors. And that, to me, at, uh, you can actually get close, that you're not crammed in. So you've got, you feel so free, able to talk to the exhibitors there and hear their stories, the little uh, adventures they had and the difficulties they may have had in getting their plants ready or, having got them ready, getting into the show itself. And um, having been involved in showing myself when I was with Hilliers all those years, uh, I know one thing, A, it's damned hard work, at the end you are shattered and if someone said would you like to have a rest would you like to retire to a hotel you'd just say yes please and at the end of the show when you've stayed on as a, a, a salesman or whatever just be there uh, you think oh thank god that's over with and, but you know that come just a few months you're looking forward to the next one and at Hampton Court uh, of course this, this is a relatively recent history compared with Chelsea um, i We always enjoy coming here because we can meet all our friends and we actually have time, A, to talk with those friends and exchange news and views and still have time to look at the exhibits. And so you leave at the end of the day thinking, well, that's been one hell of a great day.
0: The 2015 RHS Hampton Court Palace Flower Show. Another highlight of the show Was the exhibit co created with members of the panel of BBC Radio 4's Gardeners Question Time? This was a set of gardens illustrating the RHS's campaign for gardeners to help green Grey Britain. RHS Principal Garden Advisor Lee Hunt explains what this major RHS campaign is focusing on and how people can get involved.
8: The RHS have got a new campaign. It's called Greening Grey Britain. And we've started this because we realised that um, perhaps our, our gardens, and particularly our front gardens, are not as green as they once were. And the way we found this out was that 10 years ago, we commissioned a Murray poll and asked people... How green is your front garden? 10 years on, we thought, why not repeat the matter and find out how things have changed? Really, the, the results were quite amazing. We found that now one in three front gardens are completely paved over. So that's wall to wall, 100% paving. Uh, so when you look down the street, you'd find a third of your gardens are paved. That's about five million of them. And I think what we realise now is that gardens, and this is where the scientific evidence has moved on hugely in the last 10 years, gardens are not just pretty, they do actually make our towns and cities really great places to be. Trying to explain this, it's the open soil and borders and lawns, they soak up rainwater. So when we have summer storms, we don't get as much flooding. So basically gardens act as your flood defence on your doorstep likewise we know that uh, gardens are home to many species of wildlife in fact over 260 species on average in the average garden doesn't matter really on size because a lot of this is microflora and if you think about That it's got to have plants and soil to live in. So, by the time you put down hard surfaces, there's very little room for those species to be. So, if you're interested in saving the bees, helping things like the starlings and sparrows, then having plants is really key. So, that's the, the second thing that's really good about gardens. Third thing is they're really good at keeping the temperature nice and steady in towns and cities. So Hot summers, when we finally get them, uh, it prevents that heat wave feeling quite so oppressive. So they shade, they release moisture and that just moderates the temperature, makes it more bearable. In the winter, we can actually save money on our heating bills because it's reducing the wind chill on the properties by having things like trees around us. And if you have things like climbers up against your walls, it acts as insulation so it literally prevents the the heat getting out add to that that plants help prevent pollution particularly dust pollution getting into our houses because it's filtering it out on the street and also the fact that we are um, getting out there doing the garden, so getting fit and we know that plants and greenery unlike hard surfaces provide a really good what we call restorative effect so People come home, they see green, they sort of go, ah, and then that feels really good. So we know that actually people literally are mentally healthier for that. So this this huge other tranche of stuff that we've understood about why gardens are good. And it is all gardens, but obviously it's front gardens at the moment which are under pressure. They're the ones that are disappearing. I think that the reason for that disappearing is, is very obvious in the sense that we've all got a lot of cars, more than usually two cars per household these days and we've got to put them somewhere but I think what's happened is that people have made an and or choice so they've gone right I need to park I'm going to get rid of the garden but it doesn't have to be like that there is a way where basically you can still think about getting planting in have somewhere nice to come home to prevent the concrete jungle coming on your doorstep The way to do that is to try and think about your front garden. Keep paving to a minimum. So, what do you actually need to get the cars on? It might even be just two tyre tracks to run the car wheels on. Then, think about all the potential dead space around that. So, in the corners, up the walls, where you've got walls and fences, or those could be hedges. So, by the time you've got hedges down the side, maybe one up the front climbers on the walls shrubs in the corners any other space of course you can fit little plants under the cars like the creeping jenny which is a little yellow plant with small leaves uh, which will just sneak along nicely underneath the car similarly with the the bronze leaf bugle uh, which has little blue flowers too and even if you've got 100% paved garden you can make it greener by putting containers around your door make it somewhere nice to come home to so we're not necessarily talking about everyone having to dig up all their paving but it's it's making that shift we know now that it's tipped our cities from being green to gray there's more than 50 percent of the the surface in front gardens is now gray so what we'd like people to do is go online and pledge to do something um, as i'm saying we might not all have the money and resources to be able to do the big expensive things like replace the driveway but If you can plant a tree, plant a container, put in a shrub, do a flower border, whether it's one or all of those things, uh, just tick the boxes on the pledge form at um, rhs.org.uk forward slash ggb for Green and Grey Britain. And let us know. We'd love to see that totaliser going up and up because we're trying to transform 6,000 grey spaces By 2017, into wonderful green spaces so that we all have fantastic places to live.
0: Lee Hunt on Greening Grey Britain. For more information about how you can help Green Grey Britain or to pledge to plant, go to rhs.org.uk forward slash ggb. I'm Jenny Bowden, and you're listening to the RHS Gardening Podcast. Don't worry if you weren't able to visit the RHS Hampton Court Palace Flower Show this year. There are still plenty more RHS shows, events and activities for you to enjoy this summer. This summer, we're celebrating the 150th anniversary of Alice's Adventures in Wonderland with Wonderland-inspired activities at all four RHS gardens. See more at rhs.org.uk forward slash gardens what's on. At RHS Garden Wisley, we're looking forward to the Arts Fest over the weekend of the 18th and 19th of July. Come along for live music, theatre performances, craft stands, plus a programme of poetry and literary talks. If you're near RHS Garden Rosemore on the 19th of July, pop in for the Book Fair, featuring a range of independent booksellers from across the South West gardening and horticultural books will feature amongst the interesting and unusual books for sale RHS Garden Harlow Carr is welcoming back Odd Socks Outdoor Theatre on the 14th and 15th of July with its production of Much Ado About Nothing Book tickets now at harrogateinternationalfestivals.com For listeners near RHS Garden Hyde Hall, make a date in your diary for the annual Hyde Hall Flower Show, held from the 30th of July to the 2nd of August And finally, there's the RHS Flower Show Tatton Park. That's on from the 22nd to the 26th of July. The 2015 show is shaping up to be a fantastic show with inspiring gardens and a jam-packed schedule of talks and demonstrations. There's still time to buy tickets through the RHS website. Or, if you're looking for an unusual gift, why not give an RHS show ticket voucher so family and friends can enjoy a wonderful day at one of our world-famous shows too. Again, you can find details on our website. And in the rapidly approaching school summer holidays, there are plenty of activities for the whole family to enjoy in our four RHS gardens. Hyde Hall in Essex, Rosemore in Devon, Harlow Carr in North Yorkshire, and here at Wisley and Surrey. Full details of all events and more are on the RHS website. Go to rhs.org.uk forward slash on. As regular listeners will know, every month on the RHS Gardening podcast, members of the RHS Garden Advice team join us to answer the gardening questions they've received by phone, letter and email and via Twitter and Facebook. So let's join my colleagues now to hear advice on some of the queries they've received recently.
8: Hello, my name is Lee Hunt. I'm the Principal Horticultural Advisor here at RHS Garden Wisley.
9: I'm Tony Dickerson and I'm also a horticultural advisor here at Wisley.
8: And I'm Guy Barter. I work on the horticultural advice team here at Wisley. Mr Pearson has emailed in and says, I love growing courgettes or zucchini as my American wife calls them, but my family insists that marrows are easier to grow and more versatile and better value for money. Can I just leave my courgettes to grow? Can I assume they'll turn into marrows or do I need to buy more seed to appease everyone? courgettes or zucchini are in fact the same family
10: um, botanically the same vegetable as marrows and if you leave them they will get bigger uh, the downside to that is as they get bigger they'll stop um producing more uh little courgettes uh so if you let one plant um grow marrows for the less discerning members of your family and reserve the other plants for picking lots of lovely tasty courgettes um then you can keep everyone happy so i think um you needn't uh,
8: spend more than one packet of seed here i think often one of the problems as well is that you have courgettes they're coming to be little flowers and you think right i'll leave them another day and then the next moment you look and they're marrows with and of course it hasn't happened that quickly but in a matter of days and weeks they disappear under the foliage and they do very quickly become marrows so for most people uh, you end up with one anyway uh, so <laughs> Uh, We know from experience that a courgette plant will produce marrows that are useful. Whether you want them or not is another matter.
9: Well, I I must say uh, marrows do not exactly uh, fill me with culinary delight. And I think uh, courgettes are far more versatile. Uh, Particularly, I like the the yellow skinned ones. Um, They're rather tender, more tender skinned and uh, easier to find amongst plants. And if you're growing courgettes for the first time, be aware that some form nice quite compact little bushes, others are more trailing, and you can even now get selections which will grow in a pot, which are ideal for uh, restricted space. Um, But I'd say, yeah, I think the yellow courgettes are top of my list in terms of uh, culinary delight. Right, we we have a letter here from Amanda Fleming from Bristol. Uh, She lives in a street lined with beautiful apple trees, and she actually occupies a first floor flat, and the tree outside is both beautiful and provides some much appreciated privacy between her living room and those of the opposite neighbours. The downstairs neighbour, though, is trying to have the tree directly outside the flats removed, but she's devastated at the thought of losing this beautiful mature tree. The neighbour claims the roots are interfering with the foundations of her home. Is there any hope for this tree, or any alternatives? Or is it tree-aside, the only option? Um, well, Guy, trees and buildings...
10: Well I mean, the question is um, whether the neighbour um, has a case here and uh, if they've had a professional surveyor has come in and um, has proven that there is damage being caused then it's going to be difficult not to have the tree removed but very often people perhaps um, understandably get worried by the proximity of a tree uh, to their valuable property and the potential for expensive repairs and uh, they may not. They may not appreciate the shade and uh, shelter from the light as much as, as much as the first floor tenants do, um, and they may uh, try to have the tree removed. Um, it's. Um, it all much depends on who owns a tree. I would guess this being a street tree, it's owned by the council, and they're usually reluctant to remove street trees. Um, because it's expensive to do so and uh, they have a a remit to keep the environment the streets pleasant and uh, a tree line so it's worth um, making representations to the council speaking to the tree officer if you think the neighbour is not making a a good claim that that their evidence is not sound you always have the option of getting a second opinion from an arboricultural consultant and you can find those by visiting the website of the Arboricultural Association. All the same, it's worth perhaps meeting with your neighbour and seeing if there could be some kind of uh, um, compromise here. If your neighbour is uh, suffering from a lack of light because they're under the tree, perhaps there could be some thinning of the crown or lifting of the crown, um, and uh, your council can probably advise you on which arboriculturalists they use for their tree work. And it might be worth getting a quote and perhaps you and your neighbour can come to an amicable agreement?
8: A lot of people do worry about trees and buildings. And it's worth saying at this point that I think there are a couple of things to try and establish if you're thinking, is this tree going to be a problem? The first is your soil type. And that really needs to be clay because clay is the one that expands and contracts. So when it doesn't have so much water in it, it shrinks. When it has lots of water in it, It expands and it's the tree taking the water from it that makes the clay shrink and therefore it shrinks away from the foundations and could cause a problem. So soil type is really critical. Then of course proximity, how close is that tree to the house? That um, does depend from tree to tree. So we know that some trees are better. We know things like the, the crab apples and the prunus are generally better Uh, at being planted close to the house without causing so much damage whereas of course the the classic things like willows if they're planted nearer they you run a higher risk the final element is that it depends on the state of your property if you've got good foundations i.e a more modern house then they should be more able to withstand the pressures that things like trees can put on because the foundations couldn't withstand how the soil moves so hopefully for most people get the right tree in the right place and things will be fine. Uh,
10: Mr Neil Franks has asked us um, about uh, Tigrella tomato plants that have been raised by his mother his mother-in-law rather and uh, she says that they're cordon tomatoes and uh, need staking and potting on. Uh, Mr Franks would like to know how he does this Tony, do you have any words of wisdom on this?
9: Well, um tomato ideal for growing in pots, but you need a large pot, something like 10 litres, which approximates to perhaps a diameter of 12 inches and a similar sort of depth. Um, very water-hungry plants are tomatoes, so they want a good root area. Uh, alternatively, they can obviously be grown in grow bags. And, yeah, corn tomatoes, tomatoes basically have two types. They're either tall single stems cordons or bush tomatoes and in many ways bush tomatoes are a little bit easier to deal with but the cordons are very productive they produce a tall straight stem but in the leaf axles in the leaf joints they produce side shoots and you really need to pinch these out as the uh, tomato grows away because otherwise you'll end up with a profusion of stems and uh, the actual fruits will be deprived of uh, a lot of nutrients and goodness and uh, You may end up with a lot of tomatoes, but quite small. So uh, developing them as single cordons is a very convenient way. Certainly you can put a stake in, um, bamboo cane or something a little bit more substantial. Or if there's some overhead support, you can actually just tie in a length of strong twine or string. And the tomato itself can be twined around that string. And uh, eventually once you've formed perhaps four to five or even six trusses, you'd then pinch the top out.
8: Tigerella is a great tomato because it has uh, initially green fruit with, from the shoulders down, stripes. So they are like tiger stripes going down there. And then as they ripen up, the uh, fruit stays red, but the stripes are yellow. So it does have that sort of rather jungle-like look about it.
9: Right, we have an inquiry here from Lorraine Brown. Last year, I planted three packets of freesia bulbs in my Essex garden. I followed the instructions on the packet, to the letter, but saw no flowers, not a single one. What did I do wrong? How can I get the flowers this year? Uh, Lee, what's the problem here?
8: Uh, Frisias are often grown for cut flowers and they need quite precise conditions to really grow and flower well. And the the problem with putting them in the garden is that um, if they just get put in, even if it's in a nice sunny spot and the soil is quite good, if it was wet and dry and a bit cold and damp they're probably not going to grow as strong as they should and the flowering may not happen so i think this is one where if possible it is worth actually trying to grow them in pots and it's quite sort of simple to do you just need a nice wide pan it needs to be roughly appropriate for the the amount of bulbs you've got so maybe a sort of eight inch or 20 centimeter pot would be fine you want some Innes number one or two compost and about two parts of that, one part of grit. So the, the Innes is something you buy in bags and you can just go in and ask for that. And the horticultural grit is available. It should be in the same aisle as it were in the garden centre. And the two to one, it just means that if you imagine it by pots, so two scoops of two pots for the Innes and one for the grit. Mix that together And then you want to space them about two to three inches or five to seven and a half centimetres apart and uh, just cover them over. So they're just, again, an inch or two deep, again, about sort of up to five centimetres. They want to be kept moist, but never soggy, because that growth as it starts can be quite quickly rotted off. So it just wants to sort of tick over, push your finger in to know how wet it is before applying any more good light position and if you're going to put them in the greenhouse which is great make sure all the vents are open and that they're on the top sort of uh, bench or shelf so you're getting good light to grow if you do this in uh, spring and early summer that you should get fairly consistent growth and flowering can happen within about sort of six to ten weeks depending on the conditions so cross fingers if you've got good bulbs and you keep the growing nice and consistent you will get some blooms Mr Johnson has emailed in, how do I propagate clematis? I have a Montana, an Elimosa, and an Armandii. Well, we've certainly got things of different easiness and hardness there. Uh, Tony, how would you try?
9: Well, I think the simplest way uh, for most people who probably only want a, an extra plant or two is, is layering. And with clematis, uh, that's often done at the uh, late winter where you take a stem a smaller or shorter side shoot that you can actually bring down to the ground just gently cultivate the soil perhaps dig in a bit of grit or sharp sand if it's slightly on the heavy side and then you literally bury a length of the the stem uh, often just scraping the underside uh, just to remove the the bark sometimes people slightly cut into it with a pen knife and put a little matchstick in there you can dust or treat with a, a rooting Hormone powder or gel just to encourage uh, the roots to develop. And you pin, or some people say put a brick or a tile over the top that length of stem. The remaining part of the shoot obviously needs to grow up into the light. And if you leave that, probably by the autumn it will have rooted, but if you want to leave it a bit longer and it will usually propagate itself. So certainly for something like a Mandii that would probably be more difficult from cuttings, that's probably a preferred method and very straightforward. Um, But Guy, if we're talking about cuttings for clematis, a number of options there.
10: Um, Yes, um, most clematis with the exception of Clematus armandii, um, root really readily from cuttings. And the the way to do it is to find a, a shoot of non-flowering wood. Um, shoots that have got flowers on uh, don't root well. The flowers seem to suppress the, uh, the ability of the timber to root. And when you found your uh, piece of non-flowering uh, shoot, you can cut it into cuttings. They can either be cuttings like um, one often makes, three or four inches long, a couple of um, re- uh, leaves at the top and uh, the re- leaves removed at the base and placed into a gritty potting media so it's got lots of air around it so the roots can respire and... Sorry, not the roots. The base of the stem can respire and it'll grow roots well. Again, um, as Tony suggested for layering, uh, rooting compounds, which are designed to elicit roots from from uh, wood uh, can be used and then place that in a, either a propagator or just a pot with a plastic bag over it and uh, they usually root and make a nice plant um, uh, reasonably quickly say I don't know four to six weeks if if taken in early summer however um, if you're a person who wants to grow lots of um, clematis You can take cuttings that just have um, one set of leaves and a short length of stem, so they're really tiny mini cuttings, and um, pop those into the same mixture and treat as before. Or if you're an exceptionally greedy person, um, you can take a sharp knife and cut that cutting down the middle, so you've got half a stick with one set of leaves on it, and uh, that too is worth a go. But I don't suppose many gardeners are going to want to plant a forest of um, clematis, so uh, the larger cutting is much easier and probably all that most people need.
0: The RHS Advice Team As an RHS member, you can get free advice on any gardening problem from the team by phone, post or email, or in person at any one of the RHS flower shows. Members also get free entry to all four RHS gardens, the opportunity to buy discounted and priority tickets to RHS events and flower shows, And much more, including, of course, an extra gardening podcast every month, available on the RHS website. If you're not already a member, why not find out more about its benefits? Just go to rhs.org.uk forward slash join. So that's all we have time for in this edition. We'll be back in a fortnight. Until then, remember to follow us on Twitter at the underscore RHS and like us on Facebook. For now, from me, Jenny Bowden, and all the RHS Gardening Podcast team, goodbye.